But this is this is a bit more of what I observe in other liberal arts graduates as well. Intellectual elasticity, versatility, athleticism that is obvious. The world and leadership and running tech companies and all these kinds of things is, is sometimes is often really about storytelling, story listening, communication, clarity of vision, idea, etc. How do you give people a sense that that what they're building ties to a much larger current that even transcends company. Underneath all of our titles, uh, we're all humans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chat Masala. I am super excited. Um, uh, today, we have not only a guest, uh, but someone I consider uh, a mentor and a guide who has a truly amazing so, uh, story that I can't wait for you all to hear. So this is the one and only uh, Rishi Jaitley. Uh, he has an illustrious uh, career, uh, first at Google, and then he was uh, uh, Twitter's first hire in India and was the VP and uh, head of operations um, in India and Southeast Asia, then was the co-founder and CEO of uh, Times Bridge, which was the Times Group's uh, uh, kind of uh, VC arm and helped uh, a number of US companies um, uh, expand their operations in uh, India. More recently, he is uh, now a professor uh, of practice at uh, Virginia Tech, and he uh, uh, continues to work with organizations uh, around the world. Rishi, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here and honor, honor to be here. Thank you, Rahul. Lovely. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I may have uh, mentioned this uh, to you before, but uh, you're part of the reason I am in India, uh, Rishi. Uh, I was on a school trip um, uh, back at Princeton, and uh, we were meeting some alumni uh, here in Delhi, and you showed up, and um, here was an Indian-American uh, who had moved to India, and I was like... <laughs> How crazy is this? Who would do that? Uh, but hardly a couple of years later, when I was um, trying to find myself and uh, exploring different paths, uh, your example popped into my mind uh, and I took the leap and it's been one of the, the best decisions of my life. So uh, thank you for that inspiration. That, that means a lot, uh, Rahul. I remember that day very well. Um, it was a long time ago. and. Uh, just grateful to know that there was a little ripple sent from that that appearance. More than ripple, sir. So uh, would love to um, get into your journey. Um, uh, if you can start with what were you like as a, as a high school student and what launched this uh, incredible journey? Um, what were you interested in and um, how did you get into Princeton? I appreciate that. You know, it's a great, great starting point. What was I like as a high school student? I think um, maybe there's two ways to answer that question. Uh, the first way to answer that question is sort of may come across as a, as a tad conventional, right? I was um, I was a good student in across all academic uh, areas. Um, I you know, was uh, increasingly involved in my high school, uh, kind of in various clubs and activities. Um, I, you know, both my parents are physicians uh, in the New York City area, which is where I grew up. And, and so there was a little bit of an inclination around science and science research and, uh, dare I say it, science fairs in particular. Uh, and so I think 
one one answer, one narrative is Rishi was um, like many like many we've probably met, right? Um, just a good student, maybe interested in becoming a doctor, particularly leaning in science um, and involved in his high school. I think there's an there's another answer that kind of surfaced to me, or I kind of self actualized around at the end of high school, very end of high school, which is that I felt like I was, um, what's the way to put it? Uh, from a social standpoint, fairly horizontal, meaning I was in many different groups, friend groups and athletic activities. I played a lot of basketball and, and I realized at the end of high school that, um, I had, you know, leadership potential or an interest in leadership I hadn't really explored in high school. Sure, I was, you know, the news editor of my local news of the local newspaper and in charge of the community service club. But I remember towards the end of high school reflecting back and and having regrets. And the regrets weren't academic because I did well. The regrets weren't signing up for activities because I did that. The regrets were in the area of leadership and wondering what else I could have done to to use my sort of horizontal, widespread nature in the school to lead. And look, I don't I don't know how or why I got into Princeton. That's a question that I, I wish I had a chance to ask Dean Fred. I I applied to many many schools, um, and and I got into Princeton and kind of almost intuitively knew right then that this place might might be for me. But I remember the Princeton application, Rahul, and I remember its emphasis on um, unlocking our persona, personality, our human side, not just our academic and extracurricular side. And I remember being very courageous in those answers around just being me, being exceedingly authentic. And so maybe they detected someone who was um, reflective, who was honest, and who um, had soul searched a little bit about high school and what he wanted for college. Um, so I'll leave it at that as a starting point uh, in terms of what I was like in um, in high school. Got it. Now, I presume that uh, given that both your parents uh, were doctors, they probably pushed you in that direction. Uh, and I know you ended up majoring in history. How did you come to that decision? And I think this will be a a great inspiration for all the young people who want to study uh, the liberal arts. Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say before I answer your question is the liberal arts um, 25 years later have become a huge passion point of mine and the humanities and finding new and novel ways to ensure they um, aren't just preserved, but are pervasive in a world in which I think we're losing them and we're losing sight of them. So your question is, it isn't just sort of an important window into what happened to me in my Princeton journey, but it is, it is profoundly still in me today. Um, and we'll get to that later. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I got to Princeton, uh, there was this expectation I'd be pre-med, you know, I was, uh, had done well on all the AP chemistry and AP bio exams and, um, but what happened, Rahul, was when I got to college, um, and this is the year 2000, it's a presidential election year, and the story Princeton tells, and the story a lot of American universities tell, is their role in national life. 
their role in American history. And this was, you know, the Internet was around then, but I remember reading this in books really that summer. Um, and I was awestruck. I was awestruck that I was 17 years old, you know, um, just a regular kid in suburban New York City. And I'd be going to a university where James Madison had studied, where a Revolutionary War battle had been fought, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember thinking it was a presidential election year, and I'd already realized that I, I ought to have um, led more in high school. And, and I remember getting to Princeton and not just being steeped in the history of the place, but I remember the university telling us, study what exhilarates you, study what gives you joy, study what animates you, do what awakens you, not just study, but do, and trust that downstream, those reference points of intellectual joy and engagement will pay dividends in ways you can't see right now. And, you know, I, I kind of reflected on my life. I had been collecting newspapers. This is just a little tidbit on me. Since the early 1990s, uh, 1992 or so, I was a newspaper collector. You know, if there was ever a really cool event that happened in sports or politics, I'd save the newspaper. I loved archives. I loved listening to old speeches. I loved old things. And I realized that if, if I want to stay true to this message that Princeton is, is conveying, I, I ought to take some classes in history. And I took some, I took a course in world war II history with a former American general. And, um, in the fall of Prince, um, my freshman year, I got to meet president Clinton who was visited campus. And so all of that up, added up into, it gave me joy. I still have journals from those days, joy and fulfillment and nourishment that, um, that I wanted to sustain. And I didn't feel like my pre-med courses were giving me. I wanted to make sure each step of the journey was joyous, not just the payoff being joyous. And ev for everyone, there's a different answer. And for me, studying history um, was joyous, you know, even in the baby steps. And so that's how I made that decision. I remember the conversation where I told my parents that I'd be, you know, wouldn't be pre-med anymore. Um, but I think they were proud because I, I, had, I had also gotten involved in campus life in a lot of ways. And they realized that my intellectual pursuit was just one side of my story. Wonderful. Uh, no, that's super interesting, um, uh, Rishi. Following your joy, uh, not just for the payoff, but uh, in every step of the process. How would you reconcile that um, with the concept of ikigai that a lot of people are talking about? Look at the intersection of your aptitude, your passion, but also what makes money and what the world needs. Um, so trying to find what hits all four circles. Um, do you think there's some merit to that or should we put more weight on that passion circle? It's a great question. Um, you know, I've never been too analytical about this framework of, you know, uh, which I've come across before of sort of um, where does my passion meet opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. I guess where I my starting point is that the world is a big place and there are there's room 
for passions and livelihoods of all kinds. That's where I start. And I also believe that passion, which is kind of a, maybe not a sophisticated sounding word, but conviction, joy, mm. energy, make the world go round. You know, when you look around and you observe anything around you, right, whether it's a material object or an immaterial idea, in my mind, it came from someone's um, compass, inner compass, uh, and ultimately conviction and a sense of joy. And, you know, there's a great, there's a great, uh, these days, of course, we live in an inter internet creator economy, you know, we're on a podcast and, you know, I've seen, I, uh, th there's, there's sound bites like in today's world, if you can find a thousand people on planet earth to lean into and commit to keeping up with you and the story you're telling, the passion you're sharing with the world, um, you can make a living. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I guess I feel that no matter what sector you're in, what business you exist in, that there are, um, that there's no, um, no short passion and conviction and a sense of knowing you're on your path um, goes a long way. Lovely. I think that's, that kind of takes this discussion to the next level. I love that. Yeah. And I, and I think you see, I think I'd also say, I'd also say Rahul, you know, when you find, when you get too analytical, right. About the blocking and tackling of this and meeting this moment, et cetera, et cetera. I think ultimately the market senses that you may be forcing it, forcing an authenticity that isn't, isn't true. And I think I found in my career that my ability to lead, my ability to close deals, my ability to be, have big entrepreneurial ideas, my ability to be a mentor, all comes from a place of, whoa, this, this is him, this is Rishi being Rishi, uh, as opposed to trying to live someone else's playbook. Amazing. Uh, jumping ahead a little bit, because um, uh, you did touch upon that, can you give us uh, some concrete examples of how your liberal, I mean, sorry, I said liberal arts, I should have said humanities, because liberal arts in, encompasses STEM as well. Uh, but how did your study of history and the humanities shape your leadership and um, shape your ability uh, to run tech companies in the future? Yeah. <clears throat> There's two ways to answer that question, Rahul. I would say one one area is what I'd call skills, and then the other one would be sensibilities. Both matter, right? I'll go I'll go backwards. I'll start with sensibilities, right? And these are admittedly fuzzy things, right? Um, but in my mind, the study of history, which is really the study of the human experience. Um, the, I studied, keep in mind, I studied the history of technology, the history of science, the history of certainly politics, the study, history of American relations with Asia. I studied a lot of things. But at, a, at the layer of sensibility, they cultivate in you habits of curiosity, habits of nuance, habits of empathy, habits of introspection, habits of imagination, habits of... Uh, of, of conviction, um, habits of vision, um, habits of understanding the other side of an argument, habits of curation. Uh, and so there's lots of sort of human sensibilities, which are sort of always on 
capacity that I like to think I'll let others talk about me, you know, but I, but this is, this is a bit more of what I observe in other liberal arts graduates as well. Right. Um, this sort of intellectual elasticity, versatility, athleticism that, um, is, is, is obvious at the layer of skill, which is an important thing to talk about as well. You know, in my mind, the world and leadership and running tech companies and all these kinds of things um, is, is sometimes is often really about storytelling, story listening, communication, clarity of vision, idea, etc. And and in a really cluttered world with lots of information, um, I found that I, you know, sitting in sitting in meeting rooms around the world. Uh, would often be able to steer a conversation or steer a business, um, you know, business idea to the essence of, 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 of what we're trying to do, right? Some people call that strategy. Some people call that um, triage. Some people call that, uh, but I, but I know time and time again, the ability to spot a big rock in a world of little pebbles which is really what the study history is also about, right? If you're trying to make sense of a period of world history, Indian history, American history, um, you have to really be mindful of, of the little things, but also spotting the big things. And I found in my career that um, the ability to manage teams towards the big aspiration and not necessarily always the little distractions um, was valuable, not to mention the ability to storytell in a sales conversation, the ability to storytell in a fundraising conversation, the ability to story listen in a in a market intelligence uh, moment for my business. Um, so skills and sensibilities uh, is what I what I'd say. And you know, one of the things I noticed often in technology companies is what is the difference between a director of engineering and a vice president of engineering. And one of the things I often noticed was your vice presidents would have exposure to the liberal arts and humanities uh, that was that was evident, very evident often. Uh, since we've talked about um, uh, leadership, would like to would love to uh, dig a little deeper. What are some of the core tenets uh, of your uh, of your leadership uh, for for young people who want to start? leading clubs, uh, leading organizations in, um, in college, and even many who are uh, thinking about starting uh, companies. You mentioned that you wish you did more leadership in, in high school. What are some principles you hold dear that you wish to inculcate in, in your mentees? I think the first thing that comes to mind, Rahul, is you know, it, it's always leadership takes courage. It, it's nerve wracking. It still is for me. Right. Um, but when you, when you get to a starting point where, where you realize the world needs leaders, people are looking to be led leaders are actually, um, the kind of people, people, um, wait for and look forward to, um, to me, that's my starting point, which is the world and your community, whatever your community is, it could be a startup, could be a, uh, your, your, your civic community, um, it could be a, a sales context. People are looking for leadership is sort of my first 
my start. The second thing I would say is, you know, I, I feel quite strongly that leading by example is the beginning is where you have the beginning of leadership, right? Where when you're a leader that can go up and down the totem pole of obligations and commitments and embody what you seek to see in your team, be the change, show, don't tell, walk the talk. Um, I have found to be a really powerful way to, um, fuel leadership in others, uh, you know, um, because the best kind of leadership is when you lead by example and, and don't have to, uh, don't have to be expressive necessarily about leadership. And then the final third thing I would say, Rahul is, um, and this is kind of going to sound like an odd point, but believing in the leadership of others and using the language of leadership, I have found to be really valuable. You know, I often will, in my emails to people on my teams, uh, colleagues, um, I'll say, thank you for your leadership. And, 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 and I know over the years in my career, people, you know, young people in their careers have been like, why would I just, I can, I, I did something rather small. I don't see that as leadership, but the more we narrate to people, that we see their contributions in the workplace in the technology world as leadership turns out the more they lead the more they live into that identity so i i have a habit of of using the frame of leadership um with teams so that they see their little things as big things um so i kind of start there you know there's of course lo lots of other things i can say about vision and storytelling and giving people a sense of, you know, one story I use often is when cathedrals were built hundreds of years ago, most folks building cathedrals didn't live to see the, uh, the realization of their work. Right. So cathedral building to me is a really interesting way to think about in many ways, how I think about leadership. How do you give people a sense that, that what they're building ties to a much larger current that even transcends company, right? And and that's something that I think I've been known for, maybe made fun of for over-indexing on, <laughs> uh, but something I believe wholeheartedly in because I think it taps something intrinsic to what it means to be human. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Rishi. Uh, would love to um, learn more about your experience uh, in Twitter India, being the first uh, team member, how did you build that out? I mean, um, uh, Twitter is this big multinational corporation. We don't think of it as as a startup uh, per se. Uh, what were those early years like and uh, what were some lessons you garnered? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that gave me some confidence was that you know I'd, i had an earlier stint with google in in asia uh, and and what i had done at google in between in india between 07 and 09 was i had sort of um taken myself from sort of a classic public policy role um and tried to learn a new kind of leadership um you know this this notion of cathedral building i was just talking about i remember back in the spring of 09 probably not long uh, before or after you and I met, um, I remember we, we at Google had built an elections product for India in the 2009 election, sort of how giving people across India an opportunity to look up where their polling location is, 
what their constituency is like um, socioeconomically, who the candidates are, just with a just on Google, see their registration status, all kinds of cool things. And I remember trying to mobilize engineers and product managers and designers and marketers in this area. And I remember a lot of my technique amounted to giving them a sense of the bigger cathedral we're building, not just the project we're delivering. Mm. So when Twitter, Twitter happened, right, I was the first employee in mainland Asia. Um, you know, it was a daunting task, right? My mandate was to grow Twitter in the, uh, you know, initially in the Indian subcontinent, where do you start? Right? Like, I mean, every, every meeting could be an opportunity, right? Every single encounter 24 seven, you could be doing things. And so I'd say a few things, one, um, triage and prioritization and seeing through the, the seeing signal in the, when there's a lot of noise, right? And so focusing on what are, what have proven to be, what does the data tell me, right? So the first thing I did was actually study data, right? There's a history major digging into Twitter analytics <laughs> in India, but in other markets too, Rahul, and studying, well, before I, before I assume that I can, I have the power to grow this thing, Hmm. let's assume that there are already bright spots, right? And I think it <laughs> kind of gets back to my orientation of everybody a leader. Let's hmm. assume there are already lessons to be learned from the market and from other markets. And what I noticed was trends around when Twitter usage was particularly pronounced in the Indian subcontinent. And it turns out, as much as I didn't want to believe sort of um, these sort of um, simplified statements about the market, but it turns out sports mattered, cricket mattered, entertainment mattered, politics mattered, right? It turned out that the early habits of using this product in the subcontinent, mostly consumption, not expression, not tweeting, the data told me that that's, that's what happened. That's when the product is particularly sticky. And so studying the data and triaging was, was probably job one. The second thing was just I uh, tried to build relationships everywhere. You know, I, I, I the, my my if my career and immersion in the humanities has taught me anything, Rahul, is that um, underneath all of our titles, um, we're all humans, and so I embarked on a highly relational effort to get to know, be curious about, learn from protagonists across India, be they politicians, be they celebrities, be they um, brands, be they uh, startups and uh, that we might work with. Um, that was my job. Athletes. I didn't come in with an orientation of here's my idea. Here's my this. Here's my that. I think my orientation was listening. Teach me. I want to be in relationship with you. And I think that paid dividends in terms of Twitter's role in future elections. You know, when Sachin Tendulkar retired from Twitter or retired from Twitter, retired from cricket, uh, uh, you know, he used Twitter in a big way in a big campaign. We launched hashtag thank you Sachin, which was huge in India. Uh, all of that wasn't just downstream from a PowerPoint deck. It was downstream from a relational effort in the market. And then the third thing I'd say is empathy thinking really hard about how do I think about the average person in India? In India, you can't just build for the top. 
And so I thought really hard about interesting ways to make Twitter more relevant empathetically for local folks. And I remember back then there was this missed call phenomenon. People would make missed calls in India in a very prepaid market uh, to signal to one another. And so we said, what if we built a Twitter use case where you could actually subscribe to a Twitter account via a missed call? And so we worked with a startup in Bangalore, which we ultimately bought. Um, and, and so we connected dozens and dozens of top Twitter accounts from Shah Rukh Khan to the prime minister and uh, Indian cricket to phone numbers. So you could actually call a Twitter account and receive tweets via SMS. And so when you take a step back and, and think about my approach, it was study the data, build relationships only where they matter, but then concurrently be empathetic about wider use cases in the market. And these are skills that, you know, may, uh, may not be seem self-evident for someone who studied history, but to me, they are. To me, they're very similar to how I operated as an entrepreneur in Detroit or as a nonprofit executive in DC. It's the same kind of mentality, actually. Um, and I hope that's helpful. I think that's um, uh, one thing that's uh, so um, uh, admirable, your capacity, Rashid, to extract insights from one domain and apply them in something someone would might consider very different um, but you just see the similarities and i think um that may also what i'm hearing is that also stems from uh your study of the humanities and understanding the underlying humanity of everyone you interact with that's right rahul you know it, it's i i mean this really sincerely i you know i've done business in dc for education nonprofits detroit for a social enterprise i started delhi for google bombay for twitter and on and on and on the work has felt more similar than different and a lot of people look at my career and see zigzags and left turns and different contexts man nah, the work's pretty similar because in each mandate it, all i'm trying to do is i'm trying to tell a story to an audience could be a sales client, could be a product a user, could be an executive in Sanford. I'm trying to tell a story and I'm trying to move them along a journey in the story I'm telling towards an outcome. Could be trying to raise money, could be trying to close a sales deal, could be trying to get them to acquire a company, whatever the outcome is. But that ability to detect that here are the hundred people I need to move along, here are the narratives I need to shape and share with them. And here are the outcomes I'm chasing. Um, it's, a, it's a superpower and skill that is more constant and universal than you'd think. Oh my God. Um, no, I'm, I'm loving this, uh, Rishi. Uh, uh, if we can take a, a different turn and uh, understand, you know, on a more micro level, how do you organize your day? What is a day in the life of uh, Rishi Jaitley like? Um, you know, um, and what lessons can we learn about time and work management, prioritization, and anything of that uh, sort? Well, I appreciate that, Rahul. And um, sometimes, you know, the minutia matters more than, um, you know, more than folks think. You know, I'll never forget my first job out of college, out of Princeton. I was doing a an education nonprofit in DC and there was an executive there. I was just 
an associate, right? There was an executive there with a very fancy title. And I said, wow, you know, how am I going to get to your title one day? He's like, be sure you'd be surprised how much of it is just scheduling and action items. Right? It's like, you know, um, so I think, I think the first thing I'll, I'll share Rahul is I am pretty, um, uh, I'm pretty type A about how or how organized I am, uh, meaning I track at a big picture level before I come to each day, um, I track and write down my kind of action items and priorities pretty aggressively. So I have a running list that now dates years of things I'm trying to get done in any given time period. And what I will do every day is study that list and make decisions about what I need to, what I commit to trying to get done in any given day. Uh, and I'm some, I'm quite hyper organized around following through on commitments. If I have a big idea, I'll note it down and, and, and track it. Um, most of the things on my list, of course, have never gotten done. That's not the point. The point is to kind of have a habit of, of, of being expressive about, commitments and then, and then managing that each day. Um, I'm also an inbox zero person. Uh, you know, I, I, I always, um, I'm not one of those people. If you look at my inbox, I've got thousands of unread messages or anything like that. Um, I try to always at the end of each day, um, get to inbox zero. That doesn't mean I've replied to everything, but I will have a, um, point of view of when I'm, when I'm going to get back to someone or something. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm fairly organized that way. Um, and I think I say all of that because it's very easy to look at careers and see a lot of poetry, see mm. a lot of shine, see a lot of style and miss the prose and professionalism that undergirds it. You know, I'll never forget while I was at Google, I was in awe of this company and I'm seeing all these executives worth a lot of money. And I, I asked one of my mentors there, I said, how does that executive, how did they win? How did they get to the top? And his answer was, they just motor, they motor. It's not that they're smarter. It's that they motor harder. Uh, and I, I'll never forget that in terms of each day, very briefly, Rahul, you know, I try to, on a, first on a week on week level, I try to ensure my Mondays and Fridays to the extent possible are reserved for um, correspondence, reflection, following through on things. And my Tuesday through Thursday are as, are, are where I try to do as many of my kind of market facing or organizational conversations and alignment, big picture. I try to have my mornings be as much about information absorption, meaning I, I will, I'm religious about consuming, you know, media from uh, a variety of sources each morning, um, just to make sure I am connected to what's current. And then the middle of my day will be, you know, uh, largely uh, conversations, uh, market, market facing or organizational uh, around an objective I'm chasing. And then the end of my uh, kind of business day is where I'll try to, um, you know, very quickly do short form, um, short form, get things done. Um, and inevitably, you know, there'll be a lot of long form that's missing and I'll try to get to those things on Mondays and Fridays um, if I can, if I can pull it off, but I'll start there. If that's, if that's a helpful initial response to how my, the minutia of my life. Um no, that's uh, extremely helpful. What about the the non work activities? Um, oh, sure. Yeah. In terms of 
exercise, meditation, anything that you feel gives you outsized uh, returns. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, what I'll say on that front is, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, the first thing to say is like, I'm human, right? <laughs> I, um, I have other interests and other priorities in life and other, uh, other things going on from family to passions, of course, outside of work. So the first thing that comes to mind is sports. I'm a huge sports person. Um, I play a lot of tennis. I try to play tennis, um, as often as I can. Um, I grew up playing a little bit and, you know, kind of picked it up again in the last few years. So, um, I think my kids sometimes think I'm some pro athlete because I'm always headed out the door with full tennis bag and uh, gear. I want, and so I watch a lot of tennis. I keep up with a lot of tennis and I keep up with a lot of sports. You know, I grew up in New York and sports were a big part of my nourishment. And so, um, you know, if you're in the car with me or uh, if you're a fly on the wall in the car in the afternoon, when I'm driving home, probably listening to sports talk radio probably listening to an interesting sports podcast, which might surprise some people. Uh, in the mornings, I'll, I'll try to um, dig into, um, I think podcasts have played a big role in my, what I would call meditative life, Rahul. I listen to a wide variety of conversations, um, you know, from philosophy and politics to music and, um, you know, history on my podcasts. And, um, and I think that's played a big role in being absorbed in those kinds of conversations plays a big role in sort of mental refreshment, if that makes sense, as does sports and keeping up with, um, you know, the, 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 the drama that is the narrative across, across many sports. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop there in terms of, uh, in case that's helpful, uh, in terms, in terms of my, my, my habits on, reset and renewal got it lovely so before we close we have some uh, rapid fire questions for you um uh, rishi okay. uh very quickly um so beginning with what are what are three skills you would love young people 18 20 year olds to focus on today in 2023 wow well i would say skill number one is um curiosity is you know and so just sort of habits of question fearless question asking and not assuming um not assuming you're fully immersed in an answer um or it, it, skill number two would be one of introspection uh maybe it should have been the first skill but this idea of the importance of a habit of cultivating deep inner pensiveness, reflection, and sensibility, slow thinking, right, is kind of what I'm getting at a bit. And then the third would be communication and self-expression. Um, it is extraordinary how many people you meet in the real world who have been in the grind of life, who will say, if they could do it all over, all over again, you know, they, they'd invest in literature, They'd invest in writing. They'd invest in storytelling. They'd invest in public speaking. They'd invest in email writing because it seems like that's what half of the work world is. Right? Um, and so, you know, communication skills will take you such a long way, uh, no matter your sector. Um, curiosity, introspection, and communication. Wonderful. 
Thank you so much. Uh, what's one value that you hold very dear? Hmm. Staying true probably is what comes to mind, meaning um, I get high when I see others living their truth, their playbook, and resisting the temptation to live into um, the culture and the story that's being um, shared with us. You know, it's, it's one of the things we haven't talked about, but I'll kind of allude to it. You know, my career has been full of a lot of left turns and sort of counterintuitive decisions, right? I have, I left sectors and left geographies that others necessarily wouldn't and did things that, you know, um, our culture suggests may have not been the rational choice. But ultimately, I've stayed true to me and my intuition and what introspection, uh, my introspective process taught me. And I think we need more of that uh, as a value uh, in the world, uh, because what that leads to, Rahul, is a better interior life, a better industrial life, a better institutional life, a better international life, and a better, you know, imagine Exactly. 100%. And so um, that's what I would say. Uh, since you mentioned uh, tennis, um, uh, who's your favorite uh, tennis player? Oh, wow. Well, uh, th 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 this this might be controversial in some communities, but I'm a, I've for a long time uh, been a big Novak Djokovic fan um, mm -hmm. for 10, 15, you know, ever since he debuted, uh, mostly because I saw in him um, a courage to um, fully express his persona and personality, uh, which I, which I found refreshing 10 years ago. Um, and then these days, you know, I'm just quite inspired by his habits of um, mind, um, habits of his meditative habits, obviously his athleticism um, and his um, desire to see a world where we don't caricature the other. You know, we live in a world where we put people in boxes very quickly. And I think if there's one thing the humanities teach us, you know, teaches us that, that humans are complex creatures with, with souls worth learning, learning about and exploring. And I think that, um, I think in many ways his, um, he's, he, he's gone through trials in this regard, of course, but I think what I observe in him is sort of, um, an athlete who seeks to embrace the nuance and beauty in the other. Uh, and of course I love watching his tennis and defensiveness and, and his resilience and all that as well. Lovely. Uh, what's your favorite social media platform as of now? Well, of course I'm still, uh, I, I can't, I can't stay away from Twitter. I'm there a lot. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not, a. I don't tweet uh, as much as I used to, certainly when I was an executive at Twitter, uh, maybe more of a retweeter, but I, I use Twitter quite a bit. Another platform real quick that I've just, you know, started spending a little bit more time on is Reddit. I've been really struck by um, how long form conversations, uh, conversation happens there across such a variety of topics from um history and geography to politics and um netflix shows right there's just such an interesting community there uh that i just in recent months have begun to explore and enjoy 
Um, would love to hear your thoughts um, on uh, Elon Musk uh, and his new involvement uh, in Twitter. Uh, how do you contextualize that? You know, I just, I, I guess I'd say a couple things. One is, you know, the history of Twitter has always been cinematic in many ways, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, of course, books written about the beginning of Twitter and, and even my journey at Twitter. Gosh, it, it, it felt like I was a, um, playing a part in a film uh, many times. Um, you know, I think there's something about technology and Twitter in particular that makes people speak in poetry, which is either we're here to change the world or we're here to um, uh, unleash free speech, right? As, as Mr. Musk talks about, whatever it is, right? You know, no matter who's running what big tech platform and Twitter in particular, there's a tendency to speak in poetry. But then when you're on the inside, you realize the challenges of governing in prose, right? These issues are so complicated. And I think that's that's my frame, right? Whether it's um, Elon and his, his running Twitter or Twitter when it was a publicly traded company. Gosh, there's a lot of poetry. I, I was a part of that. And I have new reflections on all that poetry because on the inside, there's just so much more complexity. And it's a it's a truth, I think, about lots of technology, right? That we often frame and dress up as being in the business of um, shiny new world coming. Uh, when when the inside, there these things are way more human and humans are fallible. Got it. Lovely. I love that. Um, reminiscent of uh, campaign and poetry by government prose. There you go. That's right. Lovely. Uh, what technology do you think is going to disrupt the most uh, industries moving forward now? Well, I guess my answer is I'm not sure. I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of public conversation uh, about uh, generative artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think my 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 soundbite on this would be why I'm hopeful is I think that these platforms and the ability to automate even more um, work as we knew it or know it is going to compel all of us to become more human in a world where computing and commercial skills are everywhere, right? You can watch YouTube videos. This is pre-chat GPT. You can watch YouTube videos and learn a lot about learn pick up a lot of technical know-how and pick up a lot of business know-how and now we have generative ai coming in that world i think it's human skills and sensibilities that will help folks break through that's the new superpower actually and i've long believed that right i've long believed that it, when i look around the world the, the people that are the most fulfilled and, and successful by whatever metric seem to have already realize that i think this is going to provide a, a a glimpse to many more that gosh right maybe maybe my success is only as good as my curiosity with an ai platform not just my ability to code through it that's interesting so you're saying the chat gpt and and other such technologies will make uh the humanities and human skills all the more important, our humanity. All the more important. The I more think important. it's the best talking point for the field, right? It, it, it clarifies the opportunity for the liberal arts and humanities in many ways, actually. Amazing. Fantastic. Now, our last question, we ask this of all of our guests. What's one thing you want to see in the world uh, a decade from now in 2035? 
For me, I think it's it's a world um, kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. I want to see a world where we don't caricature the other. Hmm. The humanities, you know, a lot of people ask me, what, what are the humanities, right? Well, explain this to me. And I have six, six words that I use to describe what the humanities cultivate at their best. Awe, it's a mini poem. Awe and wonder in the other. Awe and wonder in the other. Foundationally, what when you steep yourself in the study of the human experience, you feel a sense of wonder about the other and the other need not be another person it could be an ecological ecosystem another country another work of art who knows right but it cultivates a habit of seeing the other with wonder and we live in a culture where that's not happening we live in a culture where we don't see that in the other uh and downstream from all of that is an explanation of so much i think from social media and mental health to geopolitics and conflict. And so I view it as my mission these days to find new ways for the humanities to show up in um, in the real world, because I feel so strongly that um, so much of what ails us these days, so many countries, so many communities, um, an answer, not the answer, um, is the humanities. And so we'll see how that goes. Maybe we do this again in 10 years. Rishi, I uh, can't tell you how electric I feel right now. And that's how <laughs> I feel every time um, uh, I have the, the honor of speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much for this. And thank you for sharing all of your life, Gyan, um, uh, with us. Most appreciated.